And uh, as everyone in here speaks English, right? Uh, we have an embarrassing wealth of translations in English. Now, there's, so there's some, some, many languages in the world may have one translation, two, or, or hundreds of languages that don't have any translation. And so we have a unique problem in having dozens, really, of translations. And um, so how do, we, how do we rightly use these in studying the Bible? I think it can be helpful if you think about it. Of course, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. A few portions in Aramaic, which is a related language. And the New Testament was written in Greek. So we have reliable and good translations. Reliable and good translations. But there are sometimes some places where the translations disagree on how to render the text. Sometimes making it a bit more clear or sometimes a little bit more obscure. And so when you read the text... It can be helpful if you're doing careful Bible study to read the text in two or three or more different translations because you may notice something you didn't notice before. I'll just give an example. Uh, at the church where I served as a pastor, one, the, for many years, the Pew Bible was the NIV 1984. 84 NIV. And if you look in the book of Philemon, verse 6, Paul says to Philemon, I pray you may be active in sharing your faith so you have a knowledge, good, a knowledge of, full knowledge of everything we have in Christ. And I think most people, when they read that text, active in sharing your faith, they think, yeah, you should be active in sharing your faith. You should be evangelizing. And it says we share the gospel, that we actually come to deeper understanding ourselves. And while that, that, that is a truth, that passage, actually the word sharing your faith is koinomia. It's not, it's not about evangelism. It's about, and you read the book of Philemon, it's not about evangelism. It's about this guy Onesimus, and Paul's writing to Philemon, saying, welcome back Onesimus as your brother, not just your servant. And so it's about, it's about fellowship. It's about participation. Philemon, as you participate in the body of Christ and love and forgive Onesimus, you will have a deeper understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Right? And so if you look at other translations, many of them will render that. Pray that your participation in the faith, I pray that your our common fellowship in the oh wait, when I first read it in this other translation, I thought it was this. But these other three say that oh wait. So it's when it's sharing your faith, it's not talking about evangelism, it's not about sharing your faith with other believers within the body of Christ. So I think it, it, yeah, reading multiple translations can help prevent you from, from going down a wrong interpretive road. Um, does anyone have anything? Sometimes, probably the two most common questions I get asked from, from people who are currently former students, they'll, they'll ask me, hey, I'm preaching through this book. What commentaries should I buy? And I'll suggest something I'll say. And also look at bestcommentaries.com. Right? Give them a fish and then teach them to fish because there's good, good assessments there. And then the second one is oftentimes... Um, Late people more than pastors will say, what is the best English Bible translation? And probably about half the time, they're not really wanting me to teach them anything about Bible translations. They're wanting to peg whether I think the translation that they've already decided is the best translation is the best translation. So I was trying to figure out, are you on my side or not when I ask you this, really? Uh, so, but in the 40 questions book, there is a chapter about... Um, what is the best English Bible translation? So, anyone else have, have anything you want to talk about Bible translations? Any, any, anyone want to 
fight about the King James version. Or something like that. So, yeah, in the back, question? Oh yeah, so what is the best translation? <laughs> yeah, so in, in, the, in the chapter I try to say, hey, there's a spectrum between formally and functionally equivalent, and there could be benefits to reading different ones, whether you're doing a careful word-for-word -word Bible study, or reading larger sections of text, or doing a Bible study with international students, covering English as a challenge, or something like that. Yeah. Is, is someone at this? Yeah, yeah I was just going to... Um... There is the, in Spanish, there is a version that is an actual translation of an English Bible. Yeah, it's yeah, no. Well, that's, I, and I will say that the 40 Questions book has been translated into Spanish, and the, the, the second edition of it has a chapter by a, a Hispanic scholar on what is about Spanish Bible translations. I haven't read it because I don't read Spanish. So they replaced my chapter on English Bible with that one, and it has his name in it. But, um, yeah, so the best Bible translations are done from the original languages to the target language. Um, however, most Bible translators around the world are actually translating from English into new languages. Why is that? Because there aren't enough people with the skills to do it from Greek and Hebrew, so it's better to do it from English than not have a Bible translation. So there are consultants who know Greek and Hebrew who go around and work with them, like in Wycliffe and other groups. But so maybe if that if there's anyone in here whose heart hears that and you're straight, these people, the hundreds of languages, they need the Bible too. They do. Maybe you're the one who's gonna go and and live among them and learn their language and write it, get a written alphabet for it the first time, and maybe maybe translate the Bible into that language. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. Are there particular resources? I didn't pay you to say this, right? You're <laughs> saying, okay, yeah. So yes, uh, so one of my one of my passions is to help people learn to read the Bible in the original languages, and um, I, so I have some free websites. They're all free. So dailydoseofgreek.com, dailydoseofhebrew.com, dailydoseofaramaic.com. And there's also an app, if you both, uh, uh, we're, we're updating our Android app now, so I'm not sure it's live, but there's a Daily Dose of Greek app on the iPhone, and um, yeah, there are basic lessons on there that start with the alphabet, so you can learn to read the alphabet and carry on through, and then, um, yeah, the main, the main purpose of those sites is to keep pastors reading, pastors and other serious Christians, reading the Bible in the original languages every day by giving a two to three minute screencast where we write on the text and talk about it. Just something that someone can do every day without overcommitment. So the majority of, of the people who watch this are, are pastors or ministers around the world um, to help them stay in the biblical text, but we also provide those basic lessons. And so I hear from people, retired mathematician in Tokyo, homeschooling moms, just people who just want to have a middle schooler in, in Connecticut, you know, like, who just want to, have wanted to learn the biblical languages. So the tools are there. It's never been easier. It's free. Go for it. Yeah. Uh -huh. But we noticed that you use the NIV. I, 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 well, I use whatever, to be honest, whatever, uh, wherever I'm going usually. And so uh, I, I, I thought about grabbing an ESV Bible from the pew here,
But I was like, well, I'll just, I, I had already packed that in. But yeah, ESV is a great translation. Um, it's the few Bible at the seminary where I teach. So if I'm preaching in chapel, I'm going to use the ESV. If I go, I mentioned that the NIV 84 was what was used as a pew Bible in my church for many, many years. So that's just, when I'm traveling, I grab the, the pew Bible that I had from my, from my church as well. It's not really thought out. I think that ESV is a great translation. NIV is a good translation. CSV is a good translation. And they all have, have their place. So, but yeah. Anything else? We'll talk about, we can talk about something besides translation. Someone else want to ask a, anyone want to ask a question or make a comment? So we were we were talking during the lunch. I'll talk a little bit more. Maybe if you say you want to ask a question, just make your way up here, and I'll be happy to give you the microphone. And um, think about just what would be what would be a takeaway from today? You know, what could you take home? And I hope that you take home a renewed desire to study the scriptures for yourself or for your for leading a Sunday school for ministry. But then you can think, maybe I'll just just one or two of the things that we're talking about today. I'm really going to try to make that part of my daily study of scripture. So it could just be praying with Psalm 119 before you before you're in the scripture, or it could be, you know, I haven't really thought as carefully about authorial intent. I'm just going to in a journal. I'm going to be like Paul was teaching the Ephesian. I'm just going to think harder about that and and try to put a little more reflection of that, or, or it might be, you know, I'm going to write out, how does this passage make me treasure Christ and his finished work? And I, I really, I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave my devotional time until I've really savored the way this text finds its fulfillment in Christ. So just, not that you do all those, but just maybe challenge you when you leave to try to grab onto at least one of those and think, I'm going to try that today, I'm going to try that tomorrow, and try to keep doing it. Any other, any other questions? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned before the one of the big um, permanent issues of people reading their opinions in the yeah. text. And unfortunately, there are a lot of folks out there that have, over their lives, had a steady diet of that for teaching. How do you approach them and help them see the better way without seeming self-righteous or speaking down to them? A good question. So if we maybe we've all seen uh, ministries or books or things that, that just seem to be using the text rather than exposing the text, right? They're, they're using it to teach some pre, preconceived thing and not really paying careful attention to it. So, so um, yeah, so obviously the, most of the students I teach are gonna be pastors, but they, they go back home to their home church where they grew up. And I, I'm always really careful to tell them, go back with the, with critical thinking skills, but not a critical heart. So that if you hear your pastor teaching this and he's not he's not doing a great hermeneutical job, remember, he, he may have gone to seminary back when just the fact that he came out a faithful Christian, we should be grateful, right? You should, like he, maybe he didn't have the training you have. So you should, you should pray for him uh, and you should not say anything, <laughs> probably, ever, <laughs> you know? You should not, as a 20, three-year-old go back and tell your six-year-old pastor that you're going to correct him on how he interprets the Bible. That's not a, not a good idea. Pray for him. But on a personal level, like let's say you have a neighbor, a friend, you're in a Bible study, and you're, you know, have more interaction with them. 
I think that it's it's sort of like I'm going to compare it to uh, I don't like coffee, so I'll compare it to tea, to drinking good tea. Like there's cheap tea. Like when I, you know, you, you're traveling and you you drink hot tea somewhere. It's like kind of the sweep ups of something. Yeah, it's like it doesn't. But then there's tea that's like it's like rich and robust, and you can you go on the hillsides in Nepal and you can taste you know the Darjeeling flavor. The you know like and, and so. Good hermeneutics is, in some sense, like that. Like when someone, they're like, wow, that, that, that nourishes my soul. It doesn't just give me a little pop and a thought. But like, I think, I think Christians who are indwelt by the Spirit, when they actually finally get a healthy diet, they're, they're sort of like emaciated people who are fed food. <laughs> they want to eat more. That's my would be my initial thoughts about it. Just a good diet will make you want to eat more. Good diet. Yeah. Good question, yeah? Yeah. In dealing with Catholics, they will raise tradition up to the level of Scripture as far as authority goes. Yeah. And their argument will be the Scripture nowhere says that it's the only authority. Yeah. yeah. I realize this may be a little outside the scope of this. Um, well, I mean... It, it's certainly presented as an implication. I mean, think about Jesus' debates with the Pharisees. Several times he rebukes them for having traditions which contradict the Word of God, right? And so he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the Word of God for your tradition. So clearly, um, the Word of God takes a precedence and authority over um, over that. And if you, even Psalm 119, you know, his Word is pure, it's holy, it's priceless it's more valuable than thousands of pieces of gold and silver so but but you're on a, on a um, you're right on an experiential practical level Catholics many Catholics would 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 think that traditions of the church are alongside um, the scriptures and authority and so maybe maybe some of those passages uh, where Jesus confronts the Pharisees about their traditions could challenge that maybe um, there's a lot of good works out there about about Catholicism now. Uh, my colleague Greg Allison is an expert in Catholicism. He was a missionary in Italy for many years, so he he lived. I think he's actually in Rome right now teaching. So he's he's gone over for a short trip, but he he's written multiple books um, looking at Catholic doctrine and and thinking about how to evangelize Catholics. Chris Castaldo was Catholic and became, is now an evangelical Christian. He's written a book, Walking with Jesus as a Former Catholic. Holy, holy Ground, Walking with Jesus as a Former Catholic. Um, and so, and actually through the Daily Dose of Greek, just speaking frankly here, I have several Catholics who, who follow that. Who, who, and I'm delighted because I feel like if we can, let's come to the scriptures, right? Let's, let's draw to the scriptures and if we draw into the scriptures, uh, I trust the power of God to use those scriptures to uh, to reveal truth, and so um, and there are there are some Catholics who really love the Bible, you know, and and uh, from what I can tell, um, there's some of them that are that are born again in spite of their church doctrine, right? They're not they they love the Lord, they trust in His righteousness, and they they don't realize how much they don't match up with some official church doctrines, or they don't something like that. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, so 
I don't know. It's just just some initial thoughts on that. Do you have any follow up on that? Or you? No, actually, at the last point you made, I mean, I've certainly dealt with people who uh, write off Catholics. But they're unbelievers, so you know, they're so far off. But from my experience, some of them, I believe, definitely do know the Lord. Yeah. And, yeah. and there, there's obviously a high level of ignorance there. Yeah. But, you know, especially faith in good works for yeah. salvation. And, of course, then they have some, but some don't. I mean, they have the Mary and the praying to the saints and all yeah. those things, which are serious. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I think that it, it depends on the individual, I right? Think some of them are yeah. Safe. Yes. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like for example, there's a Catholic scholar, Patrick Harton, and he wrote a commentary on James and James' faith and works. You think if anywhere this is going to come out that you're trusting in your works, maybe he would use these passages. And hey man, so sections there are so solid. You know, he's like. Uh, works are nothing other than the fruit, the evidence, the saving faith that comes through. I mean, when you read it, it's, I was like, I can't disagree with anything he says here. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we want, but, but um, yeah, I was, uh, I was talking with, uh, where was this person? I was, the, it was the guy I was running with. Yeah, the guy I was running with on Thursday. Uh, the, the guy was telling me about OCD stuff. He also told me he's been working with this Catholic for a long time and doing a Bible study with him. And so um, just having a heart for the people around us to really know what the Bible says and taking the time to love them and share the scriptures. The guy sort of a, is really a nominal Catholic anyway. And he said he, he reached the point where the guy the guy is like, yeah, I, I, I just don't want to live that way. You know, I don't, if I became, if I, I really believe that, then I couldn't do the things I'm doing. And so he's confronted with his life being inconsistent with Scripture, and hopefully that's going to result in repentance and faith. But we're waiting to see. Yeah, yeah. Other any other questions? Or are we about time to Steve? We should wrap it up. Yeah. Time to wrap it up. Okay.